Welcome to the Smart City Podcast, the technology program that looks at how buildings, communities, and cities are becoming smarter, more efficient, and more connected. We look at everything from the big ideas to drilling down to individual projects and innovative ideas that impact your day-to-day life. The Smart City Podcast is brought to you by Locomobi World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. Welcome to episode 14, recorded on February 11th, 2021. I'm Alan Cross, along with Locomobi World founder and CEO Grant Furlane. Our guests this week are Eric Peisel and Lucy Casatia of WSP, a company that helps all sorts of jurisdictions move forward in a connected way and in a host of different ways. I think you'll find their insights fascinating. First, though, Grant with some tech news. All right, Grant, what have you got for news for us this time? Okay, here's a good one. We all talk about AI and all that great stuff. Um, Recently, a professional journalist uh, recently applied for a new job. Uh, His first part of the recruitment process was the publisher made him play a number of simple online games, okay? And and what this has come down to, he had to do all kinds of things like count the number of dots in a box and uh, match emotions of facial expressions. But in the end, what what I'm talking about is they're using AI for recruitment. And what they're doing is the way he answers is the interview. He thinks he's been interviewed by somebody. He's actually being interviewed by a computer. And so they're using now recruiters and using this technology to essentially interview people. So wait, 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 wait. hang on here. So, <laughs> so you're telling me that a, a guy does this virtually yep. or a woman does this virtually. Yep. Yep. Uh, something on the screen either shows him or tells him to do these certain tasks. Yeah. And based on these rather non-journalistic tasks, the AI forms an opinion of the person? Yeah, the questions that, well, what they do is they, the, the, the questions and your answers to them are designed to evaluate several like aspects of the job seeker's personality and intelligence, such as risk, talent, risk tolerance, how quickly you can respond to situations. And so they're analyzing as you, with your facial emotions, all kinds of things. And they okay. ask you and they watch you and they say, I'll quickly answer how you answer. And then they assess you whether you should be hired. Huh. And that's again, a bit, I agree. Crazy. That's a, that's, a, that's a bit scary because doesn't it take the humanity out of an interview? I'm just telling you. Do uh, you want who's using them? Sure. McDonald's, J.P. Morgan, Price Waterhouse, Kraft Heinz. You must do this for you to pass. Wow. <laughs> uh, okay. It's um, apparently, apparently, um, the AI, right, assesses yeah. your personality and passes or fails you. Wow. No human makes a decision. And the reason uh, I bring it up this article is about a guy who applied and failed and never talked to anyone. So, what it does, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I'm just I, telling I'm sorry, you what I am. I'm making all these, these huffing noises because I can't believe this is actually happening. It's uh, it basically can analyze your whole abilities in 25 minutes. Okay, that's frightening. Can, do you have another piece of news that's not nearly as, as terrifying? Sure. Um, okay, uh, Singapore okay. is building a 42,000 home smart city. It's a city with one big central air conditioning unit. Okay, so essentially, uh, and we want to talk about this again, so... Essentially, what they're doing is they're building the settlement, which is a car-free center, 
It's 42,000 square feet and called it Eco Town in Tenga. And um, people just walk around and work. And uh, it's a car-free city. Homes are featured with centralized cooling, automatic rubbish pickup. And that's where they live and work. And this is a blueprint for urban centers because it reduces carbon emissions in decades to come, they say. Although Singapore is comparatively small, it has a population of 6 million and covers less than one square, less than a square mile than New York. That's square, square mileage. And so, so the point being is it will work. So just think of this. Just think of this. But hold on in. Just think of this. So remember the climate, swelting climate that forces residents to use air conditioning for much of the year. Much of the year. So now they'll be modeling it to centralize the whole place through one system using uh, all types of environmental, right from charging stations to, uh, it's a complete car-free, bikes and pedestrians only, and it's all smart dwellings, automated waste collection, energy and water using a mobile app, the whole thing. I can tell you that Singapore is the world's most air-conditioned country. Um, there you because, go. Because, I mean, it's... This is why... Oh, by the way, sorry. That's why they're doing it. It's so difficult. It, it, it is because you have individual units in, you know, not only individual buildings, but individual um, government flats. That must take up a hell of a lot of energy. So if you can find some some way to... Well, carbon emission. Carbon emission is a big problem, sure. right? This will get rid of that. All right. You got anything else? Well, I thought that was pretty good. Jeez. Yeah, of course I got something <laughs> okay. else. Um, okay. So, I didn't mean to offend you. You're just like a font of knowledge, and I'm just, just sucking it all in. So give me one more. Well, um, you guys, we should talk about the, the rover that landed on Mars. Yes. Um, and since launched on July 30th, right? Uh, it was called, I think, per- Perseverance. Yes. Um, very famous, right? And so now they're getting back and talking about um, they're getting the the big deal now is I think over the last course of the last few weeks, they've been showing all the live transmissions of, of Mars. Right. And the big thing was, they've never done it before, was getting Perseverance landed. And then, right, because it was, it was um, they've done other ones like CERN, they did Rover Spirit, they did Opportunity and Curiosity. This one here, this new one was actually called Percy. And scours a dusty crater area, but they, this is the first one that's going to have um, the wheels to to move all around M- Mars without getting in problems because it's so dusty and dirty. It's it's a much more versatile, maneuverable uh, rover than we've ever seen before. Correct. So it's pretty incredible. And so what they're saying, you know what, you know what I, you know what I like about it. There was a musician in Los Angeles that helped them de- develop a microphone. For perseverance, so for the first time ever, we're here. We're hearing what Mars sounds like. Correct, correct, and that's the second part of it. Um, so you jumped me. Thanks a lot. Uh-huh. And yes, it's going to have mics, and they're going to be uh, see if because you know it. Sometimes you can go on there and you can see things, but there may be things you can't see that you can hear. So that's a big deal, I think. Um, and the fact that um, it was launched uh, a while ago, but the fact that um, the new launch, right? which was launched on, I think, the 18th of February. It's the size of a small car. And it can do, uh, it's going to be a six-month, 292-million-mile journey, right, to go up there and land. Right. And so it's going to be pretty cool. Um, and I think people should watch it if they haven't, uh, because it is kind of the future. Well, I tell you, I watched the landing of Perseverance. Uh, the 
the last uh, 15 minutes. Yeah. And when it finally touched down, I had tears in my eyes. It was so cool. I agree. I agree. And so, so from my standpoint, though, um, it's going to be the next phase because, you know, we all thought there's nothing on Mars. And now we're going to see here. And this is the first time really going to see really good pictures. So I think I'd probably, I think it's a big event because, as you know, uh, w- one day we hope to have space travel. So that's my third news item for the for the day. Right, and then then uh, the fourth news item is that Locomobi has uh, launched um, license plate recognition on Mars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're already there. Yeah, now there'll be other types. I don't know, but that's a good one. That's a good one. I don't know, but I think that um, um, what I really think is cool about about the, the news as we come along now is all the cool things that are happening. And so far, all we've talked about is environment here. And so I think this is significant that we're on Mars. Uh, as you know, they felt Mars is much more adaptable than the moon. So, um, you know, I'm not suggesting this is the next one, but the fact that we're even doing it is pretty incredible. WSP is a multinational company that helps jurisdictions with the build-out and repair of infrastructure projects, including many things that fall under the umbrella of smart cities. We zoomed in with Eric Peisel and Lucy Casatia. Before we go any further, explain what WSP is. Yeah, absolutely. So WSP is a uh, professional services firm uh, that specializes in uh, engineering, planning, uh, environmental program management, and construction management services. Okay. And what's your position? So I'm uh, Executive Vice President for uh, Advisory Innovation uh, here at WSP in Canada. Okay. Lucy, you do what? I'm the Vice President for Smart Solutions, which covers a broad uh, scope, and we serve sectors all across Canada, including industrial, healthcare, property developers, and uh, Industry 4.0 for smart manufacturing. Now, in, in a normal time, you would be doing all kinds of wild and crazy things when it comes to connected communities and smart cities and infrastructure and all that sort of stuff. Uh, obviously, the last year has been a bit weird. So what sort of um, transformational events in the past? Ha- well, sorry, let me back that up. What, what sort of things have you been dealing with during the pandemic? Well, you know, dur- during the pandemic, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, we, we work on a lot of uh, infrastructure projects, both social and and physical, so roads, transit, hospitals, uh, schools, um, and you know the pandemic did disrupt some of those projects, but but a lot of them have, have actually continued on. But what we've seen is, in fact, uh, as we've kind of gone through uh, a lot of these projects, you know, people are asking a lot of bigger questions because the pandemic has really created uh, this this opportunity to kind of ask ourselves, um, you know, is, is what business as usual was before this pandemic uh, going to be what we're going to see uh, after, uh, after we've gone through it? Well, what sort of transformational events in the past? We, we've seen everything with COVID. What transformational events in the past have helped cities prepare for the future? Obviously, the pandemic really accelerated things mm-hmm. and got things moving when they might have otherwise taken some time. But what other things in the past have you seen? Yeah, that's, I can, that's a I great can, question. And, I uh, can chime in on that after, oh, yeah, right you, after you. Oh, okay. I was going to say one big area I think that's um, been happening or, or that, that cities have been experiencing over and over again are some of these extreme weather events. You can think of Superstorm Sandy, Katrina, 
these have been really uh, devastating uh, weather events that have really impacted cities where they've had to go in and rebuild infrastructure right from the ground up. And I think that our research through our Future Ready program is also confirming that these extreme weather shocks are going to continue in the future. Uh, we have our um, power utilities being challenged. We have a lot of infrastructure, as Eric mentioned as well, um, related to roads and bridges that get impacted and public safety uh, becomes at, at risk. So people have been looking at how to create a, a pandemic resistant or uh, weather resistant type of community. And I think that's going to be a big shift and opportunity for us to really look at how we build out our cities and spend our infrastructure dollars. So this wouldn't be people on the on the coastlines that would be people you know throughout the country yeah absolutely and, and i i think we got to think that cities uh in fact uh, the whole history of cities is in fact uh uh you'll end up with with certain crises that that actually kind of move everything forward you know be it from uh medieval times through to today um you know like the, the great fires that happened uh, 100 years ago in cities like toronto montreal chicago new york uh, you know changed the way we did building codes and um, you know, the need for sanitation was, was come out of some of the previous, you know, health crises of the past. So often when we actually do see a big transformable, uh, transformational event, cities adapt to them. In fact, that, that's kind of what's created the cities we have today is, is either, you know, a large crisis or a large technological change. You know, think of the, the last big technological change that really shaped cities, in my opinion, before we're kind of getting into smart infrastructure would have been the dawn of the automobile and how that actually kind of completely changed the way urbanization and the way cities form. So, so, so let me ask you, there's two questions I have for, uh, for Lucy and Eric, and, and I'll let them chime in as they want. First of all, we talk about those big infrastructures and how you're addressing them. How big is WSP? People see the name WSP. Maybe just tell us how big it is, right? You know, so they understand the breadth and width we're talking about here. No, I appreciate that. A great question. So, I mean, we're, we're actually 50,000 professionals uh, all around the world. Uh, on WSP. So uh, we're, we're actually a Canadian-based company headquartered in Montreal. Uh, we have over 100 offices across the country here. Um, and uh, as I said, we, we have a global footprint of, of 50,000 uh, worldwide. Um, and uh, so, I mean, we're, we're, we're one of the leading firms when it comes to uh, everything around property and buildings, transportation and infrastructure, uh, environmental services, and uh, we also play in the uh, environment, resource, power, and industrial space. Um, you know, across across uh, you know Canada, the U.S., the U.K., Australia, New Zealand, uh, the Nordic countries. Uh, we also have operations uh, in in Asia, the Middle East, uh, Latin America. So 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 a pretty vast footprint uh, in terms of where we touch, and it's it's really interesting because you know this um, pandemic actually just goes to show you how connected the whole world is because it's it's not something happening to one part of the world it's really being shared across you know all all of our geographies and it's it's really interesting to see the similarities that that come through in something like this so lucy so we now know the breadth and width of what you do we know you've done kind of everything one thing nobody has ever experienced in our whole lifetime none of us have experienced anything like the pandemic we have now. And I know it's going to lead to a bunch of questions. So when you say um, we've always recovered, I get it. But aren't we in a new territory right now? Aren't we in a territory that some of the questions are really affecting where we derive our smart technology? 
Absolutely. So uh, just to carry on, uh, you know, we have 8,000 professionals, both uh, on the engineering services side, professional services. We're all looking at how can we help our clients with this unpredictable future? There's so many things that are disrupting our day-to-day and normal course of business that what I've been seeing in cities is that they're looking at how can they reorganize their forces to adapt to some of these unpredictable predictable uh, events and and some that may come in the future. And then how do they um, adopt and digitize or adopt technology such that when they go forward with their new structures or new teams, they'll be able to uh, handle the incoming request, but then also be able to pivot a little more quickly uh, when some of these uh, unpredictable uh, types of events happen. So I think that there's, uh, 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 we, we, we've seen a movement from what used to take about three to five years uh, happen in the course of one year. And that all has, um, you know, those events have put pressure, undue pressure on many cities and communities. So Lucy, do, do I guess jurisdictions uh, approach you with asking for help into how to move forward with certain infrastructure projects, uh, not only in the case of, of disasters, but also in urban renewal projects, correct? Absolutely. So uh, our, our clients are grappling with how can they build back and how can they build back better? So they're looking at how uh, can they provide the services that they used to provide now with some limitations and with the uh, 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 resource limitations in terms of uh, staff availability and then also systems and um, e-service limitations. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to recover not only from the pandemic, but they're also trying to recover from the lagging investment that they had in some of the digitization or digital tools to allow them to offer uh, seamless services uh, digitally or um, through some web portals. So what we're finding now is uh, actually this year has been really busy with many communities that want to um, enhance some services and want to expand some services. I can give you an example for uh, for uh, many communities that we've been seeing. They, they realize now the importance of mental health and physical health on all of us because we're all uh, in this together. And they're looking at building uh, smart features, for example, into some of their trails so that they can encourage people to get outside, get the exercise they need, get the mental clearing that they need and um, fresh air. And so uh, we're working to help them build some smart features into those uh, urban parks and spaces and trails so that we can make uh, the experience better, uh, easier for them to navigate, uh, whether they have accessibility issues, also um, even easier for them to plan in terms of where's the the nearest park, you know, where's a trail near me, how can I get there, how do I get outside, get active, get moving. So this is a really um, uh, great emerging space I think we, we feel good about supporting. Wow. Uh, the complexity of some of these projects sounds insane. Um, I, I guess from my standpoint, is they are insane. And, uh, but, but here's something that's crazy. Like, I'm an infrastructure guy, and I want all this to work and help. But you said something, you said one thing that really is the most important thing. You said encourage. 
how do you encourage people to go to the parks? How do you do it? Like um, in every other niche in mine, we come up with programs and we were even working with you guys, but where you have to draw people out and, and that's way tougher now. If I said to you, come on out here, this is all great because of this, you now have an added thing to encourage people to come out of their shell. So we can uh, incorporate apps and uh, and link you up with um, pop-ups that help you when you go to seek, you know, a, a trail near me, for example. We work with GIS, geolocate systems, so that we can actually tie in your location without your private information being exposed, but just where you're situated. We can then give you an indicator on maps where there are trails that are uh, available to you locally, some of the features that they might have, and uh, even just knowing that you have a reference point to go to, and you don't have to go out and drive around and try and figure it out, it really encourages people to start exploring. And uh, we've seen some of these solutions in the city of Hamilton and Burlington. We're working with the city of Markham. Uh, the city of Vaughan is looking at expanding uh, some of their features. And so it's a really interesting space. Now, these are all really exciting and real, like I said, really insane, complex things. You know, what are the largest obstacles for cities coming on board and saying, hey, we need to do this? Or, you know, I, governments don't tend to be the most imaginative people on the planet. They just need to get or, day to day Or, Alan, where's all the money coming from? Well, okay, that's the second part of it. <laughs> so, uh, two great questions. One is, how do we help? Um, so, the first thing is, uh, many of the city staff don't have the time to get the engagement and the stakeholders aligned. So, we help them develop their strategy to make them ready to adopt some of these um, digital tools or smart features in their communities. Uh, so we do that through um, our, our advisory services where we co-create a path for them, a roadmap to enable them to get the user input at their stakeholder input, organize their thoughts, prioritize their themes, help them develop a vision, and then develop some of the non-financial and financial drivers that they need. And then we look at the value levers that we can bring to the table through technology, and we help them prioritize and organize how to get this done in an actionable work plan. And that's really helpful because getting users engaged, getting all that alignment is really tough. It's tough to coordinate and tough to uh, get all the responses. So we have established uh, teams that know how to do that. So that's been a big lift that we've been able to support um, the, the cities with. Um, and then the, the question is, where's the money? Show me the money. So um, Many of the cities are constrained now, lack of revenue from transit systems and, and the like, extra expenses. Some of these um, um, funds come from OPEX budgets. Um, the federal right. government is also flowing some funds as well to help some of these smarter, cleaner, and greener initiatives to help our communities build back better. But also the technology companies and private companies are looking at new ways that they can co-create new business models. So you don't have to come up with all the CapEx on your own if you're a community. Some of the, of the partners and the vendors will um, offer uh, terms, uh, leasing. Uh, even revenue sharing. Even revenue sharing. So these are really critical new models that cities didn't think about before. They never wanted to adopt them. But now I think we're going to see them uh, taking these on. Do you pitch them or do they approach you? 
both. We have to be proactive because people don't know that we can help them in that way. And then uh, we do have, as, as Eric mentioned, we have such a strong workforce across Canada. We're in, in every community over 100 offices of 8,000 members. So we want to make our communities thrive. We want to contribute to better communities, stronger communities, more resilient communities. So we do both. Yeah. So, and, and I think, you know, as you're looking at this, one of the, one of the things that we find our clients are, are most challenged by when it starts getting into smart uh, and intelligent infrastructure um, is, you know, when they build a sewer, when they build a road, when they build a school, you know, there's, there's set standards and they know exactly kind of what they're referring to and what their reference point is. Uh, and, and smart is developing so quickly and, you know, government, uh, you know, doesn't understand it and isn't able to keep up. So there's, there's really kind of this, 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 um, this lack of, of fully understanding in terms of, you know, how do you do this? And so there, there's a big question around the how a lot differently than a lot of the other infrastructure, which is, you know, one of the things we actually spend a lot of time working with our clients on because, um, you know, they know what they need when they need a school or a pipe or whatever. But, but in terms of when it comes to this technology, there's increasing awareness that it's, it's a tool they need in their arsenal, but how to apply it is the big question. Okay. Give me an example. Not a pipe. It's not a road. It's not a new subdivision. What, what, what? Well, so, before he does that, uh, um, America, remember, I know what you're is, is when you're saying this, I would think as consultants or advisors, they have to understand, they've learned now that you don't need all these regulations to stop growth. You must move faster. You must change their mindset to be able to keep up with growth. And then you probably have examples of that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, I'll, I'll start off and I'll, I'll turn over to Lucy for some other great ones. But I mean, a lot of it actually ties into those those, those pieces of infrastructure. So, you know, we were talking about this, the smart trail as part of it. But I mean, one thing that that actually, funnily enough, the way it got standardized was thanks to Google Maps was, was transit. I mean, one of the big issues people always had was trying to find their way around transit. And amazingly, Google Maps, you know, they had a problem. And so they created a standard file type. But, you know, through that file type that they created there, we actually use that and and with communities are able to push a lot more information out there. So how do people travel from point A to point B? Uh, you know, mobility as as more of a service and being able to not just look at one mode that the technology we have out there allows people to do that before. You know, it was much more difficult for individuals who weren't frequent users of, say, a transit network or, or other transportation systems to be able to plug into it. Um, and, and, and likewise, when it comes to even, you know, in this pandemic, we've realized that the digital divide is something that's really real out there. And those of us that are well digitally connected, we've been able to, uh, to, uh, to get along through this pandemic a lot more. But having digital access to services also means you have digital access to community services. You know, more and more, you know, my wife's an avid reader and she's able to just download her library books now. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's a lot of this is coming in where, where, you know, being on digital is also part of being part of, of, of democratization of our communities. So there's, there's a whole push around that in terms of how we go around. And, and it also comes back down to the infrastructure around digital, because as I said, uh, you know, my wife's also a teacher and virtual learning, you can really see, you know, in more disadvantaged neighborhoods like where she works, this, it's a real challenge to get kids to come on virtually because they don't have the bandwidth, they don't have the technology at home. Um, and the reality is I think we're going to go back to life as normal, but we've gotten such a dose of virtual that we're, we're going to still expect a certain amount of virtual to be there at the end of the day. So Lucy, I don't know if you want to add on to that. 
Well, I think it's a, a really important point because I was working with the uh, Waterfront Toronto team for many years and the whole idea of making that smart city waterfront zone uh, had a few guiding principles and one was uh, eliminating the d- digital divide, as you mentioned, Eric, because uh, we need to make digital tools available and accessible to everyone, no matter what your uh Um, income level is. And uh, to make our communities stronger and thrive, we need to enable people to be able to access tools to help them learn and get jobs and help them feel productive and uh, to improve their skills. Because face it, we have an aging demographic and uh, we need to bring on a lot of talent in a short period of time as as people are retiring. So uh, it's really key that we have the enablement through the uh, Um, high-speed access. So that was one of the big pillars around the Waterfront Toronto development. The other area I think is going to be important and is still evolving is the whole area around data governance, privacy, and security. So just because we open up these tools for people and um, make it easier for them to download library books, we shouldn't compromise anybody's um, uh, private information. And uh, so we have to consider the governance uh, open access to uh, data, uh, data sets that can be shared uh, with anonymity that can help make our communities thrive and make them more prosperous. Because at the end of the day, we need a strong economy. We need to be able to get people working, learning and thriving and, and living in healthy communities that they want to stay in. And I think the other great opportunity that you talked about or you referenced, uh, Eric, is that learning from anywhere. So now that really level sets where people can live. They don't have to be um, uh, tied to the big cities where the costs of living are getting very high. We can start to spread out our population across our huge, vast country and really take advantage of uh, a higher quality of life. Now, this all depends on widespread adoption of broadband. You got it. It's another infrastructure problem that governments have been dealing with for years now. And, you know, if you're in the far north or something, you've got a real problem because you're not connected to the rest of the world like the rest of us. So I guess you are limited by existing infrastructure and also uh, government plans to roll out things like broadband universally. Yes. And in fact, I'm working, we're working on a project right now in the Ottawa region. And uh, your point is very well taken. Many of the people are working in a zone that didn't have access to high speed. And uh, it's incredible how quickly the government is now moving forward. But it took a pandemic, which, uh, you know, to be the catalyst, which is sad, but also, you know, unfortunate um, because of the situation. But um, we are getting some action. We're seeing some movement, but it's a huge investment. It's, it's a really big commitment and a huge investment. And it has to go very quickly to uh, all, uh, you know, coast to coast, to coast to coast. And that's the challenge now. So working through that to expedite it can can be an area where WSP can help as well as, as boots on the ground to help get some of this infrastructure built quickly. Yeah, I think the, um, probably the, we all hear about the, the, the big term of the day is 5G. And, and I think people need to understand that you just made a comment that's pretty incredible. We're talking about a community that had little or no internet connection. And we're all the all in about 5G. I think there's got to be a reality check here that uh, 5G is great. And of course, hey, I'll buy anything that says 5G. But, but the infrastructure is not there. It is coming. What people don't realize a lot of times is when they think they're on 5G, most likely they're on 4G. 
And, and let's accept that. And remember, when you're trying to pull data over networks that we're still going to face that, but it's great. And I think the second part is having communities do this is going to be very important. And it's great. There are people to help them do that. But I think if you look back to the, the waterfront and why Google uh, will say that uh, it fell, it fell apart, um, probably was the whole art of regulation and trying to satisfy all the needs. So Sidewalk Lab, of course, uh, did not work. However, and I want the comment on this, we're doing that right now with a developer that has six, seven buildings on the waterfront and we are doing infrastructure and we are doing uh, full networking and we are doing transportation planning. Is it not the issue that we have to start having the governments think like private or private health government, whatever it is. And I think government's doing it. They've shown it in the city of Toronto. But what is your thoughts on that? Because you do all the consulting. I think it starts with policy. I think until we have clear uh, policy and guidance for developers, for the cities, for the city staff, it's going to be really tough to get uh, a, a consistent outcome. So everyone right now is racing to get uh, in, um, their plans done, technology enabling uh, designs. Um, but there is still a little bit of a wild west right now. And I believe that the federal and the uh, provincial government, as well as municipal and regional government, have to align on some of the strategy. And I can give you an example in New South Wales and Australia. They actually undertook to develop um, a set of strategy, uh, I'm sorry, a set of policy guidelines for any uh, asset that is owned by a government. And those um, Policies will enable data set um, collection, data open data sharing guidance, requirements for cybersecurity and protection on the networks, privacy, all of the issues that you would think of. So whether you're involved with a water main project, a bridge, a road, if it's owned by the government, there's clear policies to enable the government and the asset owners to understand their assets, move them towards digital asset management so we prevent unplanned failures. Uh, there's so much to be done, but I think it starts with policy and vision. And if we can get alignment there, then we know what to build. It's a lot easier to build things when people are clear about their needs and then the codes and standards. And I know the CSA is also uh, supporting um, this space as well in terms of chiming in as to how to build system standards as opposed to just product standards. So I think some good progress there. Here, here's a big question. What's the new normal? Yeah, that, that, that is a big one. It's, 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 it's an interesting one. You know, the, the, the reality is, is, you know, humans are, are, are great at, at readapting back to, to, to what was there before. But I think, you know, people will be happy when they can go back to the theaters, go back to interactions. But I think as Lucy was talking before, this has also opened everyone's eyes on a whole bunch of what ifs and, and, and potentials that we, we may not have actually thought about before. So the reality out there, in my opinion, is that we're going to be seeing, um, you know, people really kind of questioning, do I need to necessarily live in a big urban center? Can I do a lot of my things more remotely, more virtual working uh, is going to be there. I think also people are, are, are realizing, especially, you know, the uh, people who are more urban dwellers, that, you know, access to, to good green space, to, to open spaces is going to be needed. And we're going to make sure that we, we, we look at our cities uh, to, to, you know, urban dwellers before, you know, you know, before this pandemic, 
you know, took it for granted they could go outside, but now it's, it becomes more and more complex. So I think there's going to be certain fundamental questions that come in uh, and it'll probably change the way, you know, we travel, it'll change the way we live. Um, you know, I, we were, I had a discussion not uh, too long ago with a number of, of, of peers in, in the industry. And, you know, I don't think any of us are going to go back to five days a week in an office again. So there'll, there'll be a lot more work from home. It'll change commuting patterns. I think a lot of people see a lot more flexibility. Uh, you know, business travel, I think will change because I think we've got a, a lot more comfort with the video conference. So, so, you know, people will bounce back to the things they like, they find normal, but I think what they're going to do is take from this pandemic things that they said, Hey, you know, this has got a potential to change my life for the better and, and apply it. And so I really think, you know, we're really good at kind of picking and choosing what we liked best before and what we liked, what we found interesting during, and that'll kind of be the new reality, in my opinion. Yeah. Lucy said something that really struck me in that we're used to a certain amount of virtual now. And yeah. I don't see us going back and not, and, and throwing away the tools like Zoom, like Squadcast, like Microsoft Teams, like all the other things that we have had to use over the past year in favor of going back to a cube in an office tower someplace. I agree. Totally. This is not good. We're not going backwards anytime soon. I don't think that's ever good. I think we've made a leapfrog. I think we have to uh, think about it in that we were uh, um, taking steps and maybe they were smaller steps, maybe larger steps, depending on what sector you're speaking about. But I think this has all forced everyone to do a leapfrog and really fast track and fast forward their thinking about what they've um, achieved, what the benefits were, what they learned. And I've talked and, and worked with some clients where they said, we've learned so much about shifting and pivoting our business model quickly. And the outcomes that they um, achieved were far beyond what they expected. So now that that's their new normal. So they were uh, in the past focused on one set of uh, deliverables or products. And uh, if you think about like an ice cream manufacturer, uh, a food factory, you know, they've, they've pivoted into more um, solutions, uh, even for uh, yogurt bars, ice cream, all the things that they never thought they would adopt so quickly or could adopt so quickly. And they pivoted and their business is just, uh, you know, because of us all wanting to snack a little bit, it's, it's comfort food. But these are some of the exa- examples I've heard. And I've worked with other uh, businesses and clients that have said, you know, this has forced them to do what they should have done three years ago and uh, help them now to really focus on how to protect and make their business more resilient. And a lot so, of on the consumer side is about convenience. Oh, yeah. And, and I think this actually, th- this kind of broke, I think, a, a certain paradigm. A lot of people, I think, were reluctant on, you know, video conferencing, video calls. You know, this is finally what they promised us in all those 80s movies when we were growing up uh, is finally here. And, and this, this actually kind of created it because before, you know, I, I can speak for myself. You know, I'd step on a plane and fly halfway across the country for a two-hour meeting because people's comfort level was there. I don't think that's ever coming back. And, you know, similarly, I know a lot of people who swore they would never buy stuff online. And through this pandemic, you know, I think they've become some of the most avid online shoppers you can think of. And ordering food online, if you think of all of these skip the dishes and all of these other things, it's just taken off. And, 
people have now seen that it works and it's convenient. There's no way they're ever going back. No, I mean, every 15 minutes, a UPS truck or a pure later truck goes past my house. Yes, yeah. it's true. And then even think of the long-term care homes. How many grandparents or parents uh, were working or using FaceTime before? And now you hear everyone has an iPad and it's helped them to stay connected. And And I think that's going to help us uh, overcome some of the challenges that we've um, endured. Uh, and I think those things will stick in the future as well. Yeah, I think um, I think you're both right. Um, one thing I will say, though, is is... You know, I'll obviously, I'll love the technology. This is what we've been developing for years. But um, there are two things that come to mind in my, in my side is there are certain industries that have not accepted the change. And I think the fallout, they really need to start looking. And I know they'll turn to companies like yours. And one will be the real estate businesses, commercial real estate, who truly feel that everyone's coming back to the offices and they're not. They're just, there's no, they're not, okay? And, but it gives them the opportunity to decide what to do with that. And number two is when you, now that we are now in the digital age and, um, and I think it's fantastic, but we're going to have the app wars. And one thing we could destroy ourselves is if there's a hundred apps to do everything. And so I would think companies like yourself and others are trying to create a one user experience by consolidating some of that experience. So it's an easy way to deal with working at home and doing other things in your life rather than right now. Listen, guys, we all have 50 apps in our phone and uh, there's going to be a hundred more coming every day. So I think that's a really big challenge uh, for all of us. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's a, it's a great point in terms of, of, of that, in terms of where the technology is going. I'm just thinking in terms of streaming services from like two years ago to the amount of streaming apps I now have on my television. It's, it's, it's crazy. You want to find a movie, you got to open five different apps. I mean, there's already people kind of looking at aggregating all that, but I think this is, goes back to, to Lucy's point. What we try to also are, are, are working with government and is there needs to be a certain kind of ground rule. And I think we've also, in terms of technology, you know, if I buy a Chevy, it'll drive on the same road as a Honda. And in technology, we haven't necessarily gotten there. And I think there needs to be, uh, we need to have a drive to more standardization as, as well. Because if not, the problem is, as you said, if we're getting in the app wars or in the, uh, in, in the versioning wars out there, uh, is that you're going to you're going to necessarily have a number of players who are just going to wait, you know, like VHS and beta. Well, I'll wait to buy until I find out what's out there. And I think that'll be to the detriment of everyone. So uh, as hard as this is, I think for a lot of governments to come in, I think there there needs to be a look at, especially for for pieces of of digital infrastructure that are that are building our communities to to have a, to figure out a way of getting to more open platforms that everyone can get onto, as opposed to having us all chasing down certain proprietary ways of doing things. Yeah, it's going to be good for ISO people <laughs> <laughs> and CSA. But just it's a really important point because you think about people now looking to adopt e-cars. Um, when I was in a previous role, um, we were a manufacturer of equipment and the e-car charger uh, equipment. And every auto uh, maker had their own connector, right? So, so we had to have eight chargers and then we worked to standardize so that every um, car manufacturer could adopt the same plug and then that allowed us to optimize which made the e-card chargers more affordable so that's the real role of standardization and the, uh, the outcome will benefit everybody you can move faster adopt faster and then people know um, what direction to to go in I, I find the cascading unintended unexpected consequences of the pandemic 
fascinating because we're only a year into this and look at how much has changed. And you can just see how much more change is possible. We just don't know what it is, human beings being what we are. Yeah, excellent point. Well, thank you. This has been extraordinarily illuminating. I, I don't know how you people keep your business straight with all those offices and all those people and all those jurisdictions asking for everything from, you know, what do we do with this bridge to how do I get on this hiking trail? Uh, but we'll be watching with interest and we thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you, Grant. Thank That's you, awesome. Alex. Thanks, a real pleasure. And that's it for this edition of the Smart City Podcast. We'll be back soon with another program featuring more smart people and their ideas for connecting us together through smart technologies. Feedback, always welcome. Send everything and anything to feedback at thesmartcity.blog. You can check out our website, thesmartcity.blog, for past programs, as well as who and what else is coming up. The Smart City Podcast is brought to you by Locomobile World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. Executive producer is Grant Furlane. Technical productions by Rob Johnston. Executive Assistant is Andrea Crawford. I'm Alan Cross, and we'll see you.